You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I'm Bill Powers, and in today's show, we'll get our quarterly check-in from Dr. Rob Stevens of MiningEssentials.com. He has the number one book I recommend for new resource investors. That's Mineral Exploration and Mining Essentials. As Dr. Rob and I were chatting after our last session together, I recommended we do underground mining for those of us that are dealing with post-traumatic stress syndrome due to failed underground mining. As an investor, I asked Dr. Rob to share his thoughts. Been a lot of mine failures underground in the last few years. You can look at Alexo Resources. You can look at Arcana Silver or Pure Gold Mining. And the list goes on. Underground mining is tough. I've been in underground mines uh, a few times and just talking to the miners, they're rough, rugged individuals and they got a dirty, difficult job and it can be tough to make it work. So Dr. Rob, please take it away. What should we know about underground mining? Yeah, perfect. Thanks, Bill. Uh, and I agree uh, exactly with your comments. Uh, underground mining is tricky. It's, um, uh, you know, I mean, determining the character of a mineral deposit is, is difficult to start with, but I think underground mining just has those additional uh, challenges with it. Nothing else. You've got a lot of rocks surrounding you on all sides when you're under there, so you've got to make, uh, uh, you know, a lot of adaptions to your operating methods uh, to take care for that. So, uh, so great. Thanks. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be here again and, and talk about another uh, interesting topic in mining. Uh, so what we're going to look at today, I'll just uh, pop forward here to um, a summary of our discussion. Uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit about underground mining methods um, and just, uh, you know, what are some of those main underground mining methods that are out there? How do they differ? Uh, and what are some of the considerations that companies uh, think about when going into underground mining. Um, that also leads into considerations for underground mining. What are some of those key criteria uh, that are important in making the decision about the methods that you're going to use? Uh, and then following on uh, from what Bill just said, uh, having experienced and seen a number of challenges uh, with underground mines, uh, particularly ones that are starting up uh, that aren't able to succeed, uh, so what are those challenges? Uh, you know, this is always, it's always a hindsight is 2020 type thing, uh, which is great, but we'll look at some of the both technical and corporate challenges, uh, with, uh, those startups that ran into some trouble, uh, that hopefully give you a little bit of insight of the kind of things to, to think about and look at, uh, when evaluating, uh, companies with, with, uh, proposed underground mine operations. So let's just, uh, start off at a high level when it comes to underground mining, um, there are really sort of two broad categories of methods that are used in underground mining, uh, what we call selective underground and then bulk underground. And as the name, um, you know, suggests, uh, selective tends to be, uh, what you would think of as sort of narrow vein mining. Um, it, it, it tends to be selective in that you can mine out, uh, something like a vein while leaving the waste rock uh, uh, behind uh, and being selective and just taking that ore. Its characteristics are it tends to be low production, so it's not a lot of tonnage of production uh, and high cost, uh, but the upside of that is then minimal dilution. Uh, and we'll look at an example of dilution in just a moment, so hopefully that'll be a little bit more clear, but essentially that's waste rock being mixed with your ore, which of course drops the, the grade, the average grade uh, per ton. 
Uh, so selective mining focuses right on that ore uh, and, and doesn't get a lot of dilution uh, in it. Uh, it's suitable for veins and narrow deposits, as I already mentioned, and also for areas with weak or poor ground conditions. Uh, and that's a theme I'll probably mention a few times here, is the nature of the underground mining conditions. How strong is the rock? Competent it is, as we say. Uh, if you have very weak and fractured rock, can't have large openings underground uh, and maintain a safe and stable environment. Uh, so you have to keep those openings small and often backfill them. Uh, that would be more of a characteristic of uh, selective underground mining. When we go to bulk underground mining, of course, as the name suggests, it's now a uh, a bigger tonnage uh, type of mining, it's less selective. So there is going to be uh, more dilution. Uh, but your unit cost, your cost per ton is going to be lower. You're going to be able to produce more tons. Um, and then in return, you know, more metal from that. Uh, but uh, as I mentioned, there's that that higher dilution. Uh, so it's usually suitable for larger deposits rather than narrow vein style. Uh, and you generally want to have more competent ground conditions because you'll often be, often be creating bigger openings underground. Uh, but I also put more suitable ground conditions. Uh, one of the methods we'll look at briefly here is um, block caving, uh, which is definitely a big bulk underground mining method. But block caving really requires rock that's naturally already fractured uh, so that it, it collapses in on itself. Basically, as you create an opening, the rock collapses down and then you continually draw that rock out. So you have to have suitable underground uh, conditions. The rock has to be uh, suitably fractured and et cetera. Uh, for that uh, type of method to work. So I'll come back to these, selective and underground. I just want to start as, as a first order sort of uh, division. So what are the overall, some of the things that we're going to be considering here in underground mining? The first is, is that there's many different underground mining methods. I talked about these two sort of end members, selective and bulk, uh, but within each of those, there are many subtypes. Um, and or modifications on a common uh, type of underground mining. And why is that? Well, it, the methods are adapted for the size, shape, and orientation of the deposit. So important um, characteristics there uh, is the, let's say if we're talking about a vein deposit, is the vein deposit more of a vertical structure or a horizontal structure? that will uh, change the type of method and the approach that you would uh, take to, to mining. And let's say you have a vein that's steep and maybe it's folded and it bends down and it becomes horizontal at uh, a different part of that deposit, you'll change your, your underground mining method. Uh, so within any a single underground mine, uh, more than one, two or three, or maybe even possibly more uh, sub-methods might be used in that same uh, deposit. Um, Ground conditions. So mentioned that already. Ground conditions are a big driver in underground mining, and that is really how strong and competent are you uh, are the rocks that you're working with. Uh, mostly, the stronger and more competent they are, the better it is. The bigger openings you can create, uh, the more production at lower cost you're going to get. The weaker those rocks, the more fractured, the more that they might collapse in. The smaller openings you can take, and the more you're going to have to use backfill and other. Uh, methods to support the openings uh, for safety and and you know produ uh, productivity uh, and of course that's going to cost more dilution. So this is um, this is always an issue in mining, whether it's open or underground. Uh, but an underground uh, certainly can be a real trouble. 
Uh, it's much harder to separate out or from non-or. And uh, for those of you who are seeing this on uh, YouTube, there's a, a diagram here, just a sort of schema schematic of an underground uh, excavation or a stope. And I should mention that word because you'll hear it a lot in underground mining, stoping methods or a stope. Um, a stope is, is often synonymous with the underground mining method or that opening that is used for uh, underground mining. It's a little bit of a catch-all phrase, uh, to be honest, but uh, you can refer to this as an underground mine stope, but uh, you also uh, will refer to stoping methods, uh, again, for underground. So in this image here, what we've got is we've got a series of narrow veins shown in the orange color, and then what would be unmineralized wall rock uh, between that. And, and in this case, when it comes to mining, um, you really can't separate out the waste rock from the vein or the ore material. You're going to have to take that all. And so the average grade of what you're producing here is not the grade of the vein, but it's the grade of the veins diluted by the unmineralized wall rock. So it's going to be a lower overall um, uh, grade. And uh, uh, so that that's a big issue, and it affects your mining method. I mean, if if this were if these veins were big enough, you might choose a very selective method that would allow you to just mine those veins, uh, and and not take any waste rock or wall rock with it, and that would give you better grade material. But it's a, it's a more challenging method to mine. The other thing with dilution is if you have weak rock conditions again, as you're creating these openings, what you may find is there could be some collapse or or, or overbreaks, they refer to them, where pieces of rock are falling down uh, after the the opening is created, uh, and then those end up getting picked up and, and taken to the mill as well. And so that's another form of dilution that can occur underground. And that's a form that might not be predicted very well in advance. Those kind of overbreaks or rock collapsing into an opening um, may not have been part of the plan. And so if it does happen regularly, now you're getting dilution. Now the average grade coming out of the mine has gone down, uh, less than expected. And, and of course that creates challenges. Uh, productivity, that's a big part of underground mines. Um, I mean, it's an issue at open pit mines too, but not as much. And the productivity is really, you know, how many tons are you able to produce per day? Uh, and, and the selective and bulk mining both tie into that. The relative cost of methods, and we'll look at that in a few minutes, um, uh, it, it's quite substantially different. Uh, some of the most selective underground mining methods versus the most bulk mining methods can have a relative cost order of, a, of the magnitude of 10. So quite different. That's not so much the case in, in surface mining uh, methods. And I just wanted to mention when it comes to costs, the difference between development and production. So development is all that work that's needed to build the underground infrastructure before you can start mining. The production costs are the actual operating costs to you know produce those, those tons of ore. Uh, some underground mining methods have quite extensive development timelines. Um, uh, bulk um, or uh, block caving, which I mentioned, is one of those. It takes a lot of time to get the mine ready to go, and then it kind of goes and 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 if if you know generally will go quite well. So that's also something just to keep in mind: how much development time is there? What is the cost for that development? Uh, and separate that out from from production. And then, oops, go back for a second. Three other things uh, to mention is access. Really got to think about how you're getting into the underground, not generally something you worry about with the surface mine. Safety, 
uh, a much higher issue uh, in consideration in underground mining and ventilation, of course. you got to get air in. People need to be able to breathe, uh, and you need to get dirty air out. So that's a whole another aspect of underground mining. So just to get a sense of layout uh, and, and access, so we've got a couple of images here. Uh, one is sort of schematic of an underground mine, and then some others that talk about the different ways of accessing uh, underground uh, operations. Uh, so just to, to cover off a bit of terminology here on the left, uh, here's a sort of uh, schematic for an underground mine. Um, uh, you know, in this model, they've actually got a surface mine uh, initially that then proceeds to underground. Very common occurrence, actually, if you've got a mineral deposit that makes it right to the surface. Uh, you might start with surface methods. Uh, and then as you get deeper down, especially with narrower type deposits, uh, your surface methods are no longer economic. Uh, and then you would proceed to underground. Uh, so you need to think about access. Uh, so for example, uh, here's one, a decline that is, in this case, uh, coming from the bottom of the open pit. And then, and in the way it's drawn here, it's a decline that kind of spirals its way downwards into the mine. And then off of that decline will be various levels, sub-levels, uh, which is where you would drift or stope over to the ore body uh, to be able to actually then extract uh, that ore. Most often, development is done in the foot wall, so kind of below uh, the deposit, uh, and that's in order to take advantage of gravity. As rock is blasted and fractured, of course, it drops down, and, and you would take advantage of gravity to be able to move that uh, rock around. Another access here is uh, um, a shaft, uh, which is really like an elevator in reverse <laughs> going down into the ground. Uh, we typically have a head frame above it, uh, and that's a vertical structure that goes down. Uh, people and equipment will go down that, uh, often in what's called the cage. And then the ore will come back up to the surface in what's referred to as a, as a skip. Um, here, again, uh, multiple levels. Uh, at an underground mine, you may be operating in several different areas at the same time, rather than only in one spot uh, and progressing that way. Um, a lot of ways in which ore is brought out from the deposit is it's brought out to an ore pass and dumped down a, a sub-vertical chute uh, that sends the ore to the bottom of the uh, underground mine uh, where it goes to an initial crushing, put onto the skip or, or maybe a conveyor or even a truck, and then taken up to the uh, surface from there. Uh, maybe the one other thing I'll just mention here is expiration drilling. Um, you know, as you get deeper and deeper underground, it's harder to effectively explore from the surface and so people will take that opportunity uh, to explore from underground and continue to expand and develop the deposit uh, and then on the right here i have these access uh, um, methods a couple of which we've talked about already uh, the top one is a is a shaft uh, with a head frame uh, this is for a mine on vancouver island and that's usually where the ore body lies below a valley bottom or in an area of quite flat topography uh, you would be using uh, a shaft. Uh, the middle one here is an adit. Uh, that's where your ore body lies within a hillside or a mountain, and you could basically drift over horizontally uh, to be able to, to get at that ore body. And then the last one is a decline. Uh, this is, again, where your, your deposit is beneath the ground, uh, and you would have a, a ramp or a, a sloped road that would go down, uh, again, to get access to the ore body and to bring your ore up to the surface. So there's some sort of layouts and, 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 uh, and access issues with mine. So 
I'm only going to briefly here talk about a couple of different mining methods. At the end, I've got a link for you to some videos for underground mining, which I actually think is the best way to sort of get a handle on these is, is watch a couple of short videos. Um, but let's just uh, take a, a, a quick view of some of these different underground mining methods. Uh, so we're starting off with selective methods. Again, these are ones where you really try to take the ore with little dilution. Uh, they tend to be less productive and higher cost, but you're getting uh, really only mining the ore. So uh, they can be effective that way. Uh, the one on the left is cut and fill. Uh, and that's a, sort of exactly as it's described. Uh, you take a cut, you remove some ore, and then you backfill it. And you backfill it really essentially with a concrete mixture. Uh, and the fill for that could be could be some material that might go to tailings, uh, could be waste uh, rock material. Uh, you know, cut and fill does have that real advantage that you can uh, uh, dispose of some of the rock, the waste material that you're producing and put it back underground so you have less to manage uh, on the surface. Um, the backfill is often needed in these areas uh, because of uh, unstable ground conditions. Uh, and once backfilled, uh, that concrete often becomes the platform or the base to mine the next level up. Uh, and I've been in underground mines in which, you know, the miners would tell me that they would much prefer working in and around the backfill than the natural rock because of how much more competent uh, and solid it is. Uh, but of course, you can imagine here, narrow vein mining, followed by backfilling, there is quite a high cost to that method. Uh, I should also say cut and fill, particularly suitable for more steep or, or, or vertical uh, vein style deposits. The one in the right here is room and pillar. Uh, and is most suitable for uh, uh, mostly flatline or horizontal deposits. Um, I've seen it being used in, in some coal deposits. And it is also, as it's described, uh, in essence, you, you create these big open rooms and you have some pillars that are left behind to essentially support that opening uh, and prevent it from being collapse, uh, from collapsing. The downside of this is the pillars are work. Uh, if you're being selective and just mining out that horizontal body, those pillars that are left behind are ore, so you are not getting, you know, full recovery of that ore body. Uh, I have seen what will often happen is they'll they'll mine out a whole room with these pillars in it, and then as they're retreating and moving back out of that area that they've mined, they they take the edges of all these pillars and they try to take as much as they can and only leave a little bit behind. Um, as they finish mining that area. And often then it is designed to collapse with time and the rock will fill that void and that helps to restabilize the mine. Um, so a couple of selective methods. Um, I put these two on here just as variations on the, sele uh, the theme of selective methods. Uh, you know, miners like to throw out all sorts of names. Here's one on the left called longitudinal long, long hole stoping. Um, Longitudinal is meant that it's mining along the vein, along the, the sort of long section of the vein instead of across it. Uh, long hole, because they drill quite long holes, blast quite a big opening uh, before then mining out uh, that ore. Um, uh, but it's, a, it's really a form of cut and fill where you're, you know, but if your rock is a little bit stronger, you could make bigger openings before you have to backfill. And that makes the method a bit cheaper. So you're going to be looking at variations of that. A shrinkage uh, stoping uh, is another sort of modification of this. Uh, 
in areas where maybe the ground is a little bit uh, weak, so you can't leave big openings, uh, what can happen is you uh, you start uh, blasting, drilling and blasting out the ore and filling a void. And you draw a little bit of that ore out, but not a lot, in order to keep that void essentially filled with the blasted ore. When you blast ore, it increases in volume by quite a bit. So uh, you blast, you draw out some, but you keep that void mostly open. Then you blast the next lift up, draw out some more so that you can continue working, uh, but essentially keep those voids filled uh, until you get to the you know the top of your of your uh, the area that you're mining. And then you will take out all the ore right at the end. After which maybe there's some collapse into that, but that's okay. You're finished mining that area. So it's a way to be selective without having to backfill because you're using the ore itself as a means of keeping stability in that uh, opening uh, until you sort of finish mining the area and then you draw all your ore out. So again, another sort of modification of the method. Now it comes to bulk methods. I've got two here, uh, one of which is called sublevel open stoping. Uh, you know, I think you can probably see from this diagram that you have much bigger openings here. This is an area with quite competent ground uh, where you're able to uh, uh, create a significant uh, void or opening underground, uh, drawing the ore out and would not necessarily require any backfill uh, in an area like this. And then probably the granddaddy of uh, bulk methods is block caving. Uh, block caving is, is the is a method that can be used, for example, for porphyry copper deposits. So those big tonnage, low-grade style deposits, uh, which normally we only think of, of of being mined by surface methods, can be mined by block caving because it's it's quite inexpensive as an underground method. The idea around block caving is that you get underneath the deposit. It's got a long development cycle, uh, so there's a lot of work needed in advance before you can get into mining. You get underneath that deposit, you develop all these draw points, uh, which you can see in this diagram, underneath the deposit. And then the idea is, is you do some initial drilling up into the, say, porphyry copper deposit, blast it, fracture the rock, and start drawing that rock out from these draw points that you've uh, developed underneath the deposit. In the right situation, with a a deposit that's suitably fractured, which is the case with most porphyry deposits, as you draw the ore out and create an opening, the rock above it collapses down because it's fractured and weak and does not stay in place. That rock drops down. Now you draw out some more, you create more of an opening, more rock drops down. And every time the rock drops down, it also does a sort of self-crushing process. So it helps the rock uh, in some of those initial uh, crushing stages. Ideally, once you get started with mining and you start drawing that rock out, um, it's self-propagating uh, at that point. And you don't have to drill and blast again. You just are continually drawing that ore out. Uh, so that's what really keeps your, your production cost low uh, on a style uh, such as this. Um, so I mentioned, so there we go. There's just, uh, that, that's a pretty whirlwind uh, tour through uh, a number of different underground mining methods. Uh, I bring this up here. Um, uh, Epiroc and Atlas Copco have created what I think are some really great short little animated videos about different underground mining methods that really I find helpful to understand them. 
Uh, I have uh, collated a bunch of these on my YouTube site. Uh, so if you go to youtube.com and then slash at mining dash essentials, uh, and I don't know, Bill, whether that's something you could maybe put in the caption or something after this video. Uh, there is, uh, I, I've put a bunch of them together there. Uh, likewise, you can, can find the videos uh, uh, from your show uh, on there as well. So I would encourage people to take a look at those because they're, they're really quite helpful. Okay, we've talked a lot about costs and um, I thought I'd put up just some rough operating costs. And really, I uh, you need to take these as kind of relative numbers. They're not absolute numbers. Uh, there is a lot that goes into the cost uh, of mining per ton. Uh, but I wanted to put this up just so that you can get a sense of those differences in, in costs. So if we look at block caving, which is that big bulk mining method, uh, you could be down to 8 or $10 per ton of operating costs uh, of ore. Then as you move up, sub-level caving, still kind of a bulk method, 20 to $30 per ton. Room and pillar, which is now a more selective method. Um, you could be at 30 to $50 per ton. And cut and fill, very selective, maybe for narrow veins, 50 to $90 per ton. Uh, so really the thing is, is that underground mining methods can cost uh, the cost, just the operating cost can differ by a factor of 10. So that's quite significant. Um, at that point, we'll, we'll come back to that uh, in just a moment. And, and I do just want to emphasize again, don't take these as absolute numbers, but they give you a bit of a feel for the different costs for underground mining. All right. So coming to now, what are, what are some of these challenges? What, you know, Bill has mentioned number of, uh, of issues, uh, with, um, new underground mines or smaller underground mines uh, not succeeding, uh, companies going into bankruptcy or, or having to close a mine down. Let's take a look at what are some of those challenges. And the first one, we'll look at technical and then we'll look at more of a corporate side. Uh, so on technical, I mean, we'd probably always start poorly constrained geological model. I mean, that that's often a challenge that the resource and reserve estimate uh, was uh, not as uh, constrained, not as tightly uh, defined as it could be. Um, that can be an issue in narrow vein deposits and in gold deposits. Uh, one of the videos we did, Bill, was on the nugget effect. Uh, that's a real challenge in gold, of this irregular distribution of the gold mineralization in a vein. Uh, veins uh, can become thinner, they become fatter, they're discontinuous, they get offset by slight faults. Um, you know, you can imagine if you're trying to mine a vein that's only two meters wide and it's offset by five meters in a fault and you're mining along and you didn't even know that fault was there and suddenly the vein's gone, well, where did it go? Um, a really well-constrained geological model should know that, but, um, you know, it's difficult. So, um, as I said, narrow vein deposits can be geologically complex and require a high density of drilling to fully understand. Um, that's not a, an issue that's isolated to underground mining. Though I mean, it can be difficult to get a good model for any deposit, uh, but can be more challenging for those vein-style deposits underground. Uh, so production tons or, or the ounces that are expected um, uh, are below what was expected. You're just not getting the amount of tonnage or you're not getting the kind of ounces that you thought. Uh, so dilution, big issue there. You're getting more dilution than expected. Uh, your mining method might be slightly wider, which means it's diluting. There's these overbreaks of rock coming in. Uh, if your ground conditions are weaker than expected, um, then you may not be able to create openings quite as big. So your production is going down. 
Uh, even equipment, uh, you know, some of these examples are the reopening of older mines where there may be old equipment or there could be purchasing of surplus equipment to keep costs down. A drill breaks, it's broken for two days. Uh, you know, that sort of stuff is just keeps um, uh, reducing your production. And then the next point, operating costs are higher than expected. So uh, more backfill is needed, uh, narrower openings before backfilling, uh, more rock bolts and other supports are needed to keep the underground mine safe, um, more dilution. All of those things will result in higher costs. Uh, ground failures and weakness. Um, again, that's that competent rocks, etc. cetera. Um, that can stop a mine pretty quickly or it can halt production in part of the mine, uh, totally reducing the, the amount of production coming out. Changes in underground mining method. Now I say that because in some of the examples that I've looked at, uh, that was part of the trouble. They, they started off with one particular method uh, and then maybe again coming back to weak rock uh they wanted bigger openings they couldn't do it they had to um, go with more of a cut and fill with a lot of backfill and now their production costs have gone way up and that was my point in the previous slide of just showing you those relative production costs uh, in some cases it's much much higher so all of a sudden now you've had to change uh to a method uh that is costing you much more or may maybe resulting in a lot more uh dilution so those are some of the key technical issues uh, that pop up in terms of corporate and financial. Uh, so what we what I am seeing in some of those examples, a company is highly leveraged to a single mine that may be in startup phase. So they are moving to become a miner, uh, don't have other operations. Uh, so really, they need that mine to get going and to start producing to give them revenue to allow that mine to you know that company. Uh, to succeed um, and of course if a challenge happens uh, that company because it's fully leveraged to the single operation doesn't have a backup does not have another mine that's producing uh, to help offset costs for a period of time while it sorts out uh, those challenges uh, so that's one um, you know in keeping with that the low capital cost of restarting an old mine or a relatively small new mine say 50 to 150 million it's attractive to small companies that have those limited financial resources and maybe highly leveraged to that single project. Uh, you know, if you're a, a junior, it's really hard for you to start uh, a new uh, open pit porphyry deposit that's going to cost you a billion dollars to build. You just don't have those resources. Whereas a, a small underground mine that comes with these kinds of challenges is is a lot better for that company. It allows it to get going. And then the ideal plan starts the underground mine. It makes some revenue. With that revenue, it grows to the next level. I like that that whole approach, uh, but um, you know, there's more risks uh, associated with that. So geological, geotechnical, or mining issues could take months to more than a year to correct. Uh, you know, changing the mining method, better understanding the geological model, those kinds of things, if really production is just not proceeding as it was supposed to. But the trouble with a small company that's leveraged to a single deposit, it doesn't have the financial ability or time uh, to make those corrections with limited or, or, or no production. And so they run into a cash crunch, right? They're, they need this money to be able to get that mine on track, uh, but they really can't get that money um, especially without production coming, you know, for as much as a year. 
Uh, some cases, you too, you do see people proceeding to development with a PEA, a preliminary economic assessment, rather than a pre-feasibility or feasibility study. It can work. I've seen people do it. Um, it allows you to move faster and uh, at a much less cost to get a mine into production. Uh, but you know, generally, why people do pre-feasibility and feasibility studies is because the added geological information to start with, let alone the mining information, is necessary to really constrain that deposit down so you understand the ground conditions, the operating costs, geology, et cetera. So, you know, I like that idea again. I'm always keen on people who can get going and, you know, they, they're pretty confident, but um, it has its challenges. Uh, you do see this again, use of contractors uh, without the right experience or quality of performance. Uh, small companies are going to be hiring contractors. They don't have a big team. Um, and so, you know, I'm not trying to throw the bus under contractors, a lot of great contractors, but uh, but that can be a, a bit of a challenge for a small company that maybe just isn't able to, to manage the, you know, an inexperienced uh, team quite so well. And of course, missing production guidance, um, you know, that, that kind of builds out of all of this uh, when they're having challenges getting started and they're not meeting their production guidance and there's this challenge or that challenge, you know, that's something that you want to uh, kind of keep your eye on. So there we go. There's uh, a, a quick whirlwind tour through uh, some basics uh, of underground mining. Some of those challenges, the hindsight is 2020 approach. I'm always really good at that. <laughs> um, but um, uh, so hopefully I find that's helpful. I would encourage people to go take a look at those videos. And I always like to end off. Uh, and thanks uh, for, for allowing that, Bill, is uh, if you're interested Learning more mineral excavation and mining essentials is available on Amazon.com uh, or our .ca in Canada, .au in Australia. Uh, and also, uh, I have a number of online uh, mining courses that can really help you uh, to learn more about the industry and and uh, full life cycle of mining. Uh, and you can find those at miningcourses.thinkific.com. Uh, but of course, if you just go to miningessentials.com, you'll you'll also find links to all of that uh, there. So thanks very much, Bill. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. 
the mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.